Okie doke. So we are in the book of Proverbs. We are on chapter 19, verse 4. And today we are going to be talking about two of King Solomon's favorite subjects, money and truth. So in this book, King Solomon has a few themes that he keeps returning to. Um, and these are two of them. A person's relationship with money, how money changes friendships, um, and truth, speaking the truth, different kinds of mistruths. Okay, so let us begin. So, verse four. Hon Yosef Reim Rebim. Wealth brings many new friends, right? Friends in Hebrew is Reim. Vidal may Reihu yi parade, but a poor person becomes sundered from his friend. That means that a poor person will get separated from his friend. Okay, so... Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor person becomes sundered from his friends. So what we're talking about here is people whose friendship are dependent on their socioeconomic status and that you, you know, travel in certain circles and you make certain friends and you vacation together and you go out to dinner together. And that if somebody's financial state changes, sometimes their friendships change as well. Now, of course, what this means is those were not true friends to begin with. That is a conditional friendship that is dependent on what you have or don't have or what you're able to do or where you're able to go. Uh, you know, we know that many times, you know, look, I mean, winter break is coming up and people are going all kinds of places, right? It's, you know, I know my, my daughter is telling me this one's going here and that one's going there. And of course, you know, everybody has a different level of financial discretion wiggle room where you what you can do and what you can't do um and you know sometimes your close friend can do something that you can't do it makes it can make the friendship a little more complicated so um hi sheila welcome all right so commentary says the friends of the wealthy are really friends of wealth so this is a very interesting statement because really what malbim is saying in this comment is that sometimes your friends are not your true friends and that their friendship is conditional. So if a wealthy person has a friend, well, that person might be a true friend or they might just be a friend of their wealth, right? They might just enjoy being friends with a wealthy person because it adds to their status to rub shoulders with certain people or because being friends with a wealthy person can afford you certain opportunities that you wouldn't have otherwise. But if this person was a financial nobody, would they still be friends? So he's saying, look, some people are not really friends of the wealthy. They're really just friends of wealth. They attach themselves to such a man for the sake of his possessions, right? And that's actually one of the challenges of wealth, which, you know, as we've learned, wealth is a test. It's a challenge, just like poverty is a challenge. Obviously, there are challenges in different ways. But both the state of being wealthy or the state of being poor is considered a test. In Hebrew, a nisayon, that God is testing a person to see how are they going to behave in that situation? Are they going to rise to the occasion and serve God from their wealth or serve God from poverty? Or are they going to capitulate to the challenges of that situation, right? Now, some people say, well... Given the choice, I'll take the test of wealth, you know, thank you. But actually, um, 
being very wealthy, one of the challenges of being wealthy is that sometimes a person really doesn't know who their true friends are because some people are friends of wealth and not friends of the wealthy. And sometimes a wealthy person has to always look over their shoulder and they don't really know who can they really trust, who's really loyal to them, who would still stick with them if they didn't have money. And that can be a hard place to be. You know, people tend not to have that much empathy for the wealthy because they figure if they have money, then they have everything. But of course, that's not true. Money isn't everything. There are many wealthy people who are unhappy. There are many wealthy people who have a hard time trusting others. And so it has its own, it comes with its own challenges. Hi, Basia. So if he loses his wealth, by the same token, he loses his friends. Unfortunately, friendship is often really only love of one's own self, given only for the sake of potential personal benefit. So this is true of any time that a person befriends another person for personal gain, not just wealthy. Sometimes a person wants to be friends with someone who's pretty. Sometimes a person wants to be friends with someone who's popular or powerful or successful or smart. And their reasons for wanting to befriend these people is because it benefits them somehow. So wealth is not the only advantage that might attract untrue friends. There are many situations in which, you know, this might be the case, right? But here King Solomon is specifically focusing on wealth and that a person might not know who their real friends are because actually they're friends with their money. They're not actually friends with them. And that friendship, as he puts it here, is often really only love of one's own self. So this is the difference between true friendship and false friendship. True friendship means I am friends with you no matter what. It's not about who you're married to. It's not about where you vacation. It's not about what I'm going to get invited to. It's not about me being able to tell people that I'm friends with you. It's not about any of those things, right? It's not about because you'll you'll unlock doors for me professionally or socially. No, it's just because I'm really friends with you. And even if you lose your job or even if you get divorced or even if your financial situation changes, I'm still your friend. That's true friendship and that's rare and precious because many people are conditional with their friendships. Hello, Sherry and Rebecca. So what this means is that twofold. First of all, it means that each of us has to really think about our friends and be able to identify which of our friends are real true ride or die friends who will be there with us no matter what. And we also have to really examine our own hearts and ask ourselves, are there any relationships in our life which are kind of conditional, where we hang on, we hang on to this person because there's this fringe benefit, or that person because there's that fringe benefit, um, this person gives me access to that person, it feels cool to say I'm friends with that person, right? And so we have to really examine our own hearts and make sure that our friendships are pure and what King Solomon is going to be talking about next is concept of falsehood. So really, this is a form of falsehood because it's a false friendship. It's a it's a fake friendship that a person is only in for their own benefit. And that's really the opposite of what friendship is supposed to be. Friendship is supposed to be, I am here for you. Whereas the type of friendship that King Solomon is describing is, I'm here for you because it benefits me. 
well, then you don't love me. You love you and you love what I can do for you. That's not love for me. Okay. Welcome, Lisa and Debbie. All right. So opening it up for any comments or thoughts on verse four regarding friendships, being friends of the wealthy, being fake friends, friendships being conditional on external circumstances. Any thoughts, comments, or questions? Okay, moving on to number five. Verse five. Aid shikarim lo yinake. A false witness will not go unpunished. And one who breathes out lies shall not escape. Okay, so like many of the verses in this book, it seems like we're just repeating the same thing twice and using synonyms, right? A false witness will not go unpunished and one who breathes out lies shall not escape. But the commentary always focuses on what are the differences in these seeming synonyms and what are the different types of aspects that we're trying to say here. Okay, so the first the first part of the verse has the Hebrew word shikarim. That comes from the Hebrew word sheker. Sheker means a lie. Okay, the second half of the verse has the word kzavim, which he says means lies, but kazav really means deceit. That's really what it means. So a lie and a deceit are not necessarily the same thing because you can deceive someone without saying an outright lie. You can deceive by omission, right? Where you don't give someone the full story or you make it without actually lying. You can make it sound like it's different than it is. Okay. So um, we tw- and we're talking about breathes out lies. Like what is the significance of that? Okay. So really what we're saying in this verse is that people who lie are not going to get away with it. Okay, and this is also a theme that King Solomon revisits several times throughout this book, where he reassures us that even if it seems like somebody is acting badly and getting away with it, you can rest assured that eventually in the fullness of time, justice will be served, right? Because we believe in a God who runs the universe and that there he is a judge and there is justice. And that even though in the short term, it can seem like people get away with things, God will make sure that eventually that person's misdeeds will catch up with them and they will not get away with it. Okay, so that's the general theme here. Where King Solomon is reassuring us, don't worry, the liar will not go unpunished. Okay, so what's the differences between these two terms? So commentary, we're on page 196. The term sheker, falsehood, false, denotes obvious lying. Okay, so you tell a blatant mistruth. Kazav, a lie, or the way I translated it is deceit, denotes falsehood disguised as truth, right? So this is what I used to do when I was a little kid. And my mother would say to me, did you brush your teeth? And I would say, yes, because I brushed my teeth yesterday. Um, I'm proud to report that I now engage in very regular oral hygiene. So I've come a long way. But (laughs) saying yes 
obviously what my mother wanted to know is, did you brush your teeth today? Okay. So I can say yes. And I could say to myself, well, I didn't lie. Well, that's true, but you were definitely deceitful, right? That's a falsehood. That's how Malbum describes it. That is a falsehood disguised as truth. And the truth is that many, hold on, I need to close my door because there's There was a security walkie-talkie going on in the other room. So, and and the truth is that most people in the world engage in this kind of deceit because we preserve ourselves. We wiggle out of, so, you know, difficult social, social situations. And it's a big discussion when we talk about honesty. When is it okay to kind of give a little white lie to get ourselves out of a pickle? And when is it not okay? Right. So, for example, yesterday, a woman texted me to ask me if I would speak for a community event on a particular day. And I did not want to speak at this community event. So I looked at my calendar to see if I had a conflict and I had a conflict from 7 to 730 and her event started at 730. So technically, I could have done it. Right. I didn't want to do it. So I replied to her and I wrote, I'm so sorry, I already have something going on that evening. Now, I didn't say that the thing that I have going on that evening is not really a conflict. I just said, I'm so sorry. I already have something going on that evening, right? So that is what you would call a white lie. I didn't tell an outright truth, right? And the question would be, if you want to determine... Is that kosher? Why are you doing it? Okay. So the Torah tells us, Midvar Sheker Tirchak. Right. There's that word sheker again, falsehood, which means stay far away from lies. Now, the Torah doesn't usually talk that way. The Torah doesn't say stay far away from pork. OK, stay far away from bread on Passover. The Torah doesn't usually talk that way. It says thou shalt not eat bread on Passover. So what is this, you know, kind of emotional plea here when it comes to lying? And the answer is that it's not really, it's not just okay to refrain from lying. We should have a great birth, a wide birth between us and lying. We need to stay far away from lying. But there is a major league exception, and that exception has to do with preserving peace. So a person is allowed to fudge the truth for the sake of peace, right? So I could have told this woman, thank you so much for inviting me. I don't really enjoy your events. So therefore I'm going to decline. Well, obviously I'm not going to say that. That's rude and hurtful. Honesty is not, or brutal honesty, right? Which is called brutal for a reason is not what's called for here. So I produced a white lie, not an overt lie, right? I didn't say, oh, I'm busy at 7.30. I didn't say that but I produced a white lie. Why? For the sake of peace. However, if a person uses this, not for the sake of peace, but just to preserve themselves, right? Well, oh, I messed up and now I got caught. So I'm going to tell a white lie to get myself out of trouble. That is not kosher. But if a person is using it to preserve the peace, they should still try to lie as little as possible, right? So try to make it deceit and not a lie. Try to make it kazav and not sheker. So that's why when I I, I I felt that I had every 
reason and every right to decline this offer, right? I don't have to say yes to everything that everybody asks me to do. And I tried to do it in the most peaceful and least hurtful way possible. So therefore, I I said it in the with the least lying that I could possibly do, right? So trying not to say an outright lie, even though I could have, right? I could have said, oh, I'll be out of town. Well, you're not going to be. Why, why do you need to make up a lie if you can just sort of say something that's a little bit, right? A white lie, like we call it. But a person really has to check their motives. If you're just doing it to get yourself out of trouble and there's no real value of peace in the world, then, then no, then you need to stay away from outright lies and you need to stay away from deceit, even one that's not an outright lie. So this is how the Torah is teaching us how to balance these values, right? To try to be on the one hand, to be as careful as possible with other people's feelings and to not be hurtful to other people. And by the same token, not to desensitize ourselves to the risks of being dishonest, where a person just sort of gets used to telling these mistruths and they just become a part of their vocabulary and they're, they don't even think about it because these things can become a habit and a pattern. Okay. So I'm just, I'm just recapping the commentary here. The term sheker, falsehood, false denotes obvious lying. Kazav, a lie, denotes falsehood disguised as truth. If a person gives obviously false testimony, right? That's the beginning of the verse. A false witness will not go unpunished. He will certainly be punished. But even if somebody merely breathes out lies that sound true, right? So you're not really saying a lie, which is very overt. You're sort of breathing it. It's more subtle, right? It's It seems true. It's maybe even technically true, but that's not how the other person hears it or receives it. So even if someone merely breathes out lies that sound true, producing plausible, vague insinuations in ordinary conversation, he too will be unmasked in the end. That means the person who's not doing it for some greater purpose of peace in the world, but just for any other reason, and receive his punishment. So King Solomon is reassuring that whether the lies are overt or subtle, a person who's doing so will eventually be unmasked and found out. Okay, again, unless they're doing it for some greater constructive purpose. So this teaches us two things. It teaches us the sensitivity to other people, right? Where the Torah tells us that we're allowed to fudge the truth for the sake of peace. And I'll give you an example of that in a moment. But it also teaches us how sensitive we must be to honesty, that we don't want to accustom our tongues to saying things that might not be true. You know, and every now and then we might feel ourselves just trying to get out of trouble or to, you know, kind of finesse a social situation. And we're about to say something. And we might think to ourselves, like, well, what if I could say this instead, which is true? Like, why do I have to say a lie here? I could say something that's true and accomplish the same goal. I want to be sensitive to honesty. So the most overt example in the Torah of budging the truth for the sake of peace is when Abraham and Sarah are approached by the three angels. And one of the angels gives them a blessing or gives Sarah a blessing that she will have a child. At this time, Sarah is 89 years old and Abraham is 99 years old. And Sarah, the, Tom, the Torah records that Sarah laughs. And God says, why did you laugh? And Sarah says, well, how can I have a child? My husband is old. So God repeats this conversation to Abraham 
And he said, Sarah laughed. And she said, how can I have a child? I am old. Now, that's not what Sarah said. Sarah did not say, I am old, although objectively speaking, they were both old, okay? And especially to have a child. She was 89, he was 99. Like, I don't think anybody would get offended and say, how could you call me old? I'm only 99 years old. Okay, so, but that's not what Sarah said. How could God lie? Sarah didn't say, I am old. She said, my husband is old. And the Talmud says that God fudged the truth for the sake of peace. He didn't want to speak lush and hara, negative speech. He didn't want to say to Abraham, hey, Abraham, you know what your wife said about you? She said you're old. Because God wanted to preserve their marital harmony, which is fascinating, considering A, they were both old. Okay. B, they had been married for decades and had a great relationship. Nobody needed to worry about that. And see, they were two of the, the two most righteous people alive. God didn't have to worry about them taking offense and getting into a fight. And yet, despite all of those conditions, God still chose to fudge the truth for the sake of peace. That's how important peace is. So it shows us really the power of speech because we have to be so careful about what we say, both so that it doesn't sow any discord and so that we're making sure that we're really staying faithful to the value of honesty in our conversations, but not at the sake of peace, not, not at the expense, I should say, of peace. Okay, any thoughts or comments on verse five? Rookie, hey, it's Rebecca. Just have a quick question. Hey, Rebecca, I actually sure. put, hey, how are you? I put it in the chat. So- Let's say you're trying to help someone find a match, okay? And people ask, the, they always ask the question, how old is she? Yeah. Now, it's like, oh, God, let's say they're 29. But, you know, we all know that 29 in certain communities is considered old. So you kind of fudge and say, oh, they're in their, they're in their like, you know, mid, late 20s. Like, is that lying? Like, is that like really bad lying? Or is that like, I mean, because you feel like it's for the greater good. It's for finding a match. And we all know that a woman's age is a big thing. So where does that like fall in the realm of truth, not truth, speaking Lashon Hara, like the whole thing? Mm, that is such a good question and such an important question. So sometimes what I've done in a situation like that is I'll say, I don't know. Because sometimes I don't know exactly how old they are. I mean, maybe they had a birthday yesterday and I didn't realize, you know what I mean? So why do I have to be the one to say this age where, I don't know, well, let them find out from someone else. Why does it have to be me? So I could say, listen, I'm not totally sure. I'm not exactly sure. I don't know exactly when their birthday is. I don't know exactly even if I know their English birthday, maybe I don't know their Hebrew birthday. I don't know. Like I would try to wiggle out of giving an answer to that because you could put a kibosh on a match and that's like a big deal, but you also don't want to lie about someone's age. That's also a big deal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. I mean, I've, I've come across that a bunch of times in trying to help um, a friend's daughter and it's always like, 
well, how old is she? And I'm like, oh, she's about, you know, I'll never give the exact because I know that's that that can work against her. Yeah, that's also like good. I, is give an estimate. But, you know, sometimes people have said that they're only willing to date a certain age and then in the end they end up with somebody who's even not in that age. So we see that it's, these things can be more flexible than people realize. Right. At, at yeah. this point, yeah. the, the main thing is to get the people to meet each other and they may learn something more than just the age number. That's right. That's exactly right. But if you lie about someone's age, people are also not going to believe you. They're going to, you know, view you as a person that they can't trust. And you don't want that either. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I, I'm always in the about. Oh, about, you know, I'm like, but I'm not really sure. Yeah, you know, like, I would. That's the approach I would go with. Okay. But if you know. Separate. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And you say, I don't know. Isn't that telling a, a lie? Well, that, that's why you I would actually phrase do it know like, someone's age. Um, I would actually like, that's why I would phrase it. Like, I'm not totally sure. Okay. I'm not exactly sure. Like, I feel like that would be the more subtle lie as opposed to the outright lie, but okay. it would be for the sake of, but it would be for the sake of peace. Okay. It would be for the sake of the relationship. Although to be completely honest with you, um, what I really should do in a situation like that is if someone asked me, I would say, you know what? I'm not really sure. Let me see if I could find out. And then I would probably call my rabbi and I would ask my rabbi, like, what should I say? Because I think it's a it's a question in Jewish law, just like, you know, is this food kosher or not kosher? Can I do this on Shabbat or can't I do this on Shabbat? It really it's really like a question that requires guidance because there the stakes are high on both sides. Lying is a big deal, but preventing someone from eating their beshared is a big deal. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I see. Okay, I could I could accept that. I'll go. I'll yeah. you know I'll, I I like that answer. <laughs> yeah. Any other thoughts on this topic? By the way, I don't know. Is I have found to be a good um, subtle lie. Like, you know, let's say there's um, some scandal in the community, and someone wants to know. Oh my gosh, do you know what happened with this or that? And even if I do know what happened or this or that, I'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm really not sure why. Maybe I really do know more than they know. But first of all, I'm not sure of all the details. I don't know for certain if what I heard is true, right? And I'm trying to get out of speaking badly of others. So I've I've relied on that, like I'm not really sure or I'm not totally sure line, which is true. I'm not totally sure about everything that happened, even though it gives off a bit of a false impression that I know less than I do. But again, the, the greater good is more significant in that situation. Okay, any other thoughts before we move on? Number six. Okay, where are we here? Rabim Yechalu Pnei Nadiv. Many will entreat the favor of a generous man. V'chol hareya li'ishmatan. And everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. Okay, so again, we have two different words here. One is Nadiv, which is a generous person. 
And one is Leish Matan, a man who gives gifts. Okay, so there's a, there's a difference here. We'll we'll explore that. But basically what it's trying to say is that if a person likes to give out presents to everybody or a person is very generous, right, then that person is going to attract a lot of fake friends, okay? Because a lot of people are going to start lining up to be the recipient of this favor. Um, and by the way, this is one of the reasons why research shows that a person who wins the lottery is generally speaking far less happy a year out than a person who does not win the lottery. And part of the reason for that is that there all of a sudden all these people start coming out of the woodwork to get handouts from this person and they end up feeling very used and very objectified. So here we have this person who's generous and who wants to give out gifts and all of a sudden everybody is lining up. By the way, this is a reason why this is a very interesting point of Jewish law that if you get a favor or a gift from someone, it is not that simple to share that information with others because you might unwittingly be sending them solicitors that they don't want. Okay. So let's say, for example, you know, now nowadays a lot of our fundraising campaigns are public, but Let's just say that my husband went on a fundraising meeting and someone in the community, you know, pledged a generous gift. And then let's say my husband turns around and tells his buddy, you know, I just went on fundraising, right? I mean, a fundraising meeting isn't protected by like HIPAA laws or there's no client attorney privilege. It's not like it's illegal to share with another person what somebody has pledged. But let's say he goes and shares with his buddy next door and says, oh my gosh, you know, I just went on a fundraising meeting and so-and-so pledged X amount of dollars. And the other person says, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Let me hit him up for my nonprofit or my sister who needs a life-saving surgery or blah, 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 fill in the blank, right? So even though you even might be sharing it as a compliment, look how generous this person is, but you might be causing damage to that person. And so you have to be mindful that that's what's called in uh, Hebrew, avak lashon hara, the dust of lashon hara. It's like, it's like the slippery soap slope of Lush and Hara. You're trying to say something good, but it's actually causing the person harm. So you need to be careful about what you share so that you're not causing harm to a person. By the way, if you hear um, banging, there's uh, they're fixing something in the hallway. So <laughs> we're all safe over here. Okay. So what are these two categories? The generous person or the person who gives gifts? And what are the what is the verse trying to tell us? What's our takeaway? A generous man, Nadiv, gives judiciously to those who need in their time of need. Okay, so this, this is a person, he's a generous person, but he gives judiciously, right? People line up, they make their case, or let's say there's a person who establishes a foundation and people apply for a grant, right? So they have to make their case. What, what are my conditions or circumstances that I think I should be eligible for your grant or your gift? He will therefore receive entreaties from many poor people, but not true friendship. So this person might be swamped with requests, but again, that's not what friendship is about. People want him for his money, right? Which is legitimate. This is what many philanthropists do. They establish foundations or grants and people have to apply for them. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but let this person not mistake that for friendship. Right. Friendship is when somebody values you for you, not for what you can do for them. So that's 
the first person, Nadiv, a generous man. On the other hand, the man who gives gifts, in Hebrew, this is called Ish Matan, right? Matan, uh, litain means to give. A matana is a gift. Is profuse with gifts to all and sundry, rich and poor alike. So this person is not judicious. You are getting the grant. You did not qualify for the grant. You I'm giving a donation to. You I'm not giving a donation to. This is a person who gives everybody, rich or poor. He just... He just likes to give gifts. That's his thing. You know, some people like to give gifts. He will attract every man's pretended friendship. So now we're going back to two verses ago where he was talking about where the friends of the wealthy are actually friends of wealth, right? So everybody wants to be this guy's friend, but it's not real friendship. Again, it's pretended friendship because people like him because he gives out gifts. You know, there's a tradition on Purim to give tzedakah and to give tzedakah generously. First of all, there's four mitzvot on Purim day. One of them, which is well known, is to give mishloach manot, uh, packages of food to one's friends. One of them is mikra megillah, to listen to the megillah. One of them is mishteh, to have a festive meal. And one of them, probably the least known of the four, is matanot le'evyonim, gifts to the poor. So there's a time-honored tradition on Purim to give gifts to the needy. Now, in the Talmud, it talks about that on Purim, a person should be indiscriminate with their gifts. That means even if, let's say, you have a philanthropist or, or even somebody who's not a philanthropist, but let's say they fulfill the mitzvah of giving 10% of their income to tzedakah. So right the whole year, you're discriminate with your gifts. Where am I going to give my tzedakah dollars? Whether I have a lot of tzedakah dollars or just a few tzedakah dollars, where are they going to go, right? So what we when we make this decision, where should our tzedakah dollars go? Well, there's, you know, this institution that we're grateful for. There's the school that educates my kids. There's a rabbi that helped us out when we lived in Israel and we want to support his institution, whatever, where we want to give to victims of terror in Israel, whatever causes, right? Uh, there's our own community needs, people who are needy in our own community. Fine, great. But on Purim, the Talmud says, there is a commandment, kul yad whoever sticks out his hand, you should give him. Meaning on Purim, do not be discriminate with your gifts. Anybody who asks you, don't check their references. Don't, you know, research their cause, just give. And the Talmud says that God too follows his own rule on Purim. That normally during the year, we also stand before God with a, an outstretched hand, right? We're also applying for grants from God. And we say, well, God, I really want you. Can you please do this? And can you please do that and make this work out? And, you know, let this happen and give me good health and heal this person and let this person meet their soulmate and all the things we're praying for. So during the year, God too is discriminate. Sometimes God says yes to our prayers. Sometimes God says no to our prayers. It depends. Who's asking? What have they done lately? Why are they asking? Is this thing that they're asking for actually good for them? Right? You know, they say, be careful what you ask for. You might get it. Sometimes the thing you think you want is not actually good for you. So during the whole year, God too, like anybody who has funds to disperse, is discriminate. All right. And God says, this prayer, I'm going to answer this prayer. I'm not going to answer this prayer. I'm going to answer now this prayer. I'm going to answer later. 
this is going to be good for you. This is not going to be good for you. You're the kind of person I want to answer your prayers. You're the kind of person I'm not going to answer your prayers. But on Purim, just as God says, kolha, no, kolha, kolha, I forgot the Hebrew word. Whoever stretches out their hand, give. God too follows his own rule. And whoever stretches out their hand on Purim, God will also give. God's not going to check their credentials. He's not going to check their history. He's just going to give. And this is why Purim is considered such a powerful day for prayer. Ask God for whatever you want, because on that day, God is not screening like the rest of the year. It's a very, very interesting and not very well-known concept. Okay. So back to our verse, right? We saw, we're talking about the discriminate giver and the indiscriminate giver. Either which way this person has to understand that people who come because you have something to give is not necessarily your friend. And that's okay. There's a place for people in life who are there for your services. They're, they're there for what you can do for them. That's okay. That's, that's not a problem. But don't confuse them with friends. Your clients are not your friends. Your students are not your friends, right? And that sometimes people have unrealistic expectations of other people because they gave them something. And now they expect them, well, you, you should be there for me because I gave you something. Or you should show up for me because I gave you something. Well, people don't always work that way, right? Who can you count on unconditionally? Your friends. Your friends who haven't lined up at your door because of what you can give them. Your friends who are there unconditionally and purely because they love you. And people often make this mistake of having expectations of people who are not their friends to act like a friend because they have received something from you and therefore you deserve their undying gratitude. You want to give people gifts? That's beautiful. And do it, but do it purely and unconditionally and not because you expect things from people. I think I might have mentioned this to you guys, but I'll share it again just in case. About 15 years ago, when my husband and I had conceived of this idea of running a synagogue like that we run today, we were trying to figure out if there was a synagogue that existed that we could go and visit to sort of see what we wanted to be when we grew up. And everybody told us to go see the village shul in Toronto, in Canada, which is a shul that many of you know, Lori Palatnik, that she and her husband started many years ago. And we kept hearing everyone said, oh, you have to go to the village shul. Oh, you have to go to the village shul. You have to go to the village shul. Fine. So we planned a Shabbat in Toronto and we went to check out the village shul and we were blown away. Like we loved the way they had like prayer services and they also had classes and everybody met at the end for Kiddush. And there were like all these different things going on in the building. And we were like, oh my gosh, this is totally what we want to be when we grow up. And that prompted our move. For those of you who know, we that's why we moved from Cleveland Heights to University Heights so we could be closer to Shaker Heights where many of our members lived at that time. And anyway, so that Shabbat, we were hosted by the rabbi of the village shul. His name is Rabbi Aaron Hach. And he was telling us about when he first became a rabbi. And he said that he had spoken to Rav Hutner. Rav Hutner was a rabbi who happens to have been my grandfather's rabbi as well. And he said he spoke to he spoke to this rabbi, Rabbi Hutner. And he said, Rabbi Hutner gave me three pieces of advice when I told him that he wanted to become a rabbi. Okay, what are they? Well, one of them, I don't remember me, Ruchi Koval. I don't remember the third one. I'm, I'm, I keep every now and then I... I knock my head against the wall trying to remember the third one, but I'll tell you the two that I remember. Number one, don't ever talk about hell. 
He said, you know, some rabbis are like this punishing God or God is going to get you. You know, he's like, do, do not go that route as at all. We're going to go with loving God, uh, a, a gracious and benevolent God. He's like, just don't ever talk about hell. And the second one is don't ever expect people to be grateful. Which I thought was so sad, but also really true. If you're doing this, if you are committing yourself to be a public servant and you think that people are going to be grateful to you, you are in the wrong business. These people are here because you have something to offer. And I hope that they'll be grateful. And now I, this is me, Rochi Koval speaking. Thank God we have a very grateful congregation. And anybody who comes to speak at JFX from out of town tells us, you guys have the most amazing community and people appreciate you so much. And this is true. But he was still right that you do not go into service with the expectation of gratitude. And that's what this is saying. You have something to offer. People are going to line up and offer it. But they're just assume that they're there for what you're giving and not because they love you personally. And the lower your expectations are in that regard, the more successful and satisfied you're going to be. You have to fill yourself up with satisfaction that you're changing people's lives and not wait around for them to show their gratitude in order for you to feel like you've done a good job. Really, can I am I muted? No, you're good. Oh, so um, that's great. I love that story. I'm dying to hear what, not dying. I'm interested to hear what number three is, but. Um, I wish I could remember. <laughs> if anyone gets a chance, Lori Platnick, speaking of Lori Platnick in the Village Shul, does a great um, talk about why she gave her kidney to a perfect stranger. And one of the reasons that she's grateful she gave her kidney to a perfect stranger, although I don't want to ruin the whole talk and I can't give it over, is because she really didn't want to say like, oh, I gave my kidney to you. Why can't you do my carpool? Like when I call <laughs> you up, you should be able to do my carpool. Oh. And so I thought that was like such a great um, thing that it turned out that she didn't give it to someone that she knew. That's right? exactly wanted... the, the example I was thinking of. Too. Oh, that's so funny, Heather, because... <laughs> Your brain and my brain are often on a similar page. So that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. But yeah, it's I love true. It. It's true. That. Like, I mean, could you imagine like yeah. I gave you my kidney, like, really? You're not going to have kids. the last piece of chocolate? What's the matter with right. you? <laughs> like, pick up my, my children. <laughs> right. What's wrong with you? Every day, pick up my children. Right. Right. Okay. Any other closing thoughts or comments or anything on this final verse? Gratitude, gifts, friends, fake friends, real friends, expectations. Any final thoughts? I'm grateful for you. Thank you, Sherry. And this class for you too. This class. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. And it's true. We do have a very, very grateful congregation that I am. I'm very grateful for the gratitude of our congregation. And I always, by the way, I always tell this to my husband, like if I ever get a grateful email or text, I show it to him because women are far more effusive than men in this regard. And he's not necessarily going to hear it, you know? So I always show him mm -hmm. these emails and texts and, you know, he's like, oh my gosh, you're so lucky. 
I'm like, no, we're so lucky. <laughs> so, and then Rochi to go with our um, divine providence, the HPs. Yesterday, a client was talking to me about the financial woes of their mixed family businesses. And I said, you know, the Torah, she's Jewish. Like the Torah says that the test of wealth is often a greater test than the uh -huh. test of poverty. And then I said, because, you know, you never know who your real friends are, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so I was- Are you serious? You just said that yesterday? yesterday. So I, I just texted her and she wrote back, that is so crazy and definitely a sign. <laughs> That's crazy. Wow. <laughs> that stuff I love it all the time. I know. I love it. All the time. Crazy stuff. Listen, I, ho I hope everyone on the call has a really peaceful Shabbos and that we only hear in good news and the hostages come home. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Rocky, did you get my email? I don't know. I will have to check. Oh, then you didn't. Um, I wanted to see if we could learn in the memory of, I mean, not in the memory, in the merit of, hold on, I have to get it. Um, oh, where did I write you? Here it is. Tinok ben Yochanan Azrit. That's Jana Lazarson, who is in the community. She had a baby two days ago, and he's in the NICU. And it was an emergency oh, season. Okay. May he have a complete recovery. Um, do you know his mother's name? Because typically we do it, the son of the mother's name. So that's what Green Road put that out. So let me oh, find it again. Okay. They put out, please... Have in mind to note Ben Yohana Azrit, but Jana. Oh, Yohana. That's a girl's name. I thought you said Yohana, oh. which is a boy's name. Okay. The Yohana okay. Azrit. Okay. Thank you. May he have a complete recovery. Um, okay. Thank you for joining everybody. Have a wonderful Shabbat and a beautiful week. Yeah. See you next Thanks, time. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.